34 years ago, my wife and I migrated from across the East River, Brooklyn, and across the Hudson River to a town called Montclair. We were both in the media business at the time, and a few of our colleagues had already migrated here, smitten by beautiful older homes and a short 15 miles to Midtown Manhattan. At that time, it was home to a lot of media folks, but it was different then. An early memory, there were no sushi restaurants here because you couldn't sell raw food. I knew I was someplace different. We've come a long way since then. I think our tagline is something like where the city meets the suburbs, but I like to think of it as the home of the reluctant suburbanite determined to make the town feel like the Upper West Side of Manhattan. During these 34 years, we've watched arts and culture blossom due in large measure to those who call this place home. Journalists, actors, writers, filmmakers, TV executives. And so how fitting it was for a group to come together to bring a film festival here. A film festival is a unique kind of nonprofit, often started as an intense week in which a town, in this case, a town of about 40,000 residents, becomes part of a unique town celebration. And then, if it catches on, if it's kind of kindling, a festival develops a year-round presence with programming that continues to infuse the power of cinema into those of all ages. My intention today is to look at the film festival as a rather unique nonprofit form to understand the unique gap it fills and kind of what I consider to be its superpower, something quite different from what other nonprofits can do, the power of a festival in year-round programming to build community, to create a tribe from a group of residents. The executive director of the San Francisco Film Festival, which is like the Uber Film Festival in the United States, says this, cinema is one of the most powerful community organizing tools we have. I loved that. I wanted to know more about this unique instrument in the nonprofit orchestra, and I was thinking you might want to know too. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. Evelyn McGee Colbert is a founding board member of Montclair Film and currently serves as the president of the Board of Trustees. Ms. Colbert is a member of the Board of Trustees for the Montclair Kimberly Academy and is also a member of the International African American Museum in Charleston, South Carolina. She's an independent film producer and the vice president of Spartina, a production company that she co-owns with her husband, Stephen Colbert. Ms. Colbert was formerly the director of development for the Remains Theater in Chicago, and prior to that, the director of development for the Drama League of New York. She's been around the nonprofit rodeo a long time. She's a graduate of the Circle of the Square Theater School in New York, holds a BA in English and theater from the University of Virginia, and she lives here in Montclair with her husband and their three kids. Evie, it's really nice for you to join us here in our hometown for a conversation about Montclair Film. Thank you so much, Joan. I'm delighted to be here. So we are kindred spirits in kind of a number of ways. We're sort of kind of crazy about this town of ours. True. Um, dedicated to working to make the world a better place through nonprofit work. Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. Sure. Um, many folks get really fired up about starting a new initiative, a new organization that can make a real and lasting impact. Um, I love origin stories because it... It's a lesson for listeners about someone feeling really passionate about something and then getting up off their ass and doing it. So tell us the origin story about um, Montclair Film. Who, why, and what you saw as the gap you were filling. Absolutely. I mean, I think 
in a way, the headline is exactly what you said, people passionate about something and crazy enough to try to do it. So um, uh, Bob Feinberg, our founder and chairman of the board, had the idea to farm a film festival in Montclair um, shortly after the recession of 2008. He uh, had a friend who said, is there a film festival in Montclair? There should be. And Bob said, well, let's make one. And then I sat down and had uh, coffee with Bob not long after that and said, you know what, I'm in too. And what was Bob's background that led him to think that he could do this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now sometimes people have no background that think they could do well, things. Well, that's, that's why I said the headline is passion. Uh, maybe I should have added subtext, not a lot of experience. <laughs> uh, Bob is the uh, legal chief legal counsel for Channel 13. I don't think he had a lot of film festival experience. I had no film festival experience, but I did have a lot of arts nonprofit experience. Indeed. And I actually, um, on a side note, had sort of a childhood experience witnessing what an arts festival can do to a community. I and my husband grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. And when we were in high school, the Spoleto Festival came to Charleston, South Carolina. And it was sort of has grown now into a huge multinational arts festival. But when I was young, I saw the impact it had on the community, my hometown community. My my mother, my father, my family got involved, Stephen's mother, and he performed. I met artists, restaurants opened. As you said, for a period of, t of 10 days, the town sort of became different than it was. Mm -hmm. It was like a shot of adrenaline in, in the arm of this somewhat sleepy southern town at the time. It's not like that anymore. And so when I talked to Bob about this idea, I thought, you know, the reason Stephen and I moved to Montclair was because of the arts community here. It had the Montclair Art Museum. Luna Stage was at the time in Montclair. It had since moved out of Montclair. Right. And that's what drew us to Montclair was the sense that this was already a community that loved the arts. That You know, the Claridge Theater has been an independent art cinema for years. So anyway, Bob and I had this idea. The first thing we did was host a cocktail party to pitch it to people in the community. And we were shocked how many people said, this is a fabulous idea. Sign me up. I'm involved. So you brought this group of people together at a cocktail party. And what ignited them about the idea? Primarily, I believe it was a love of Montclair and the desire to do something that would ignite and support the community, the arts community of Montclair. But what we didn't really realize is how many people that we know and actually didn't know and later met who work in the film industry and live in Montclair. So there were just a lot of people who said, well, I can do this and I can bring this and I want to bring it to my hometown. So it was really an idea that I think a lot of people thought this is something that we can do easily. It, it wasn't easy, but it just felt like the right thing at the right time. Again, as I said, it was after 2008. Everybody felt like the community needed a little bit of an economic boost. So that was the pitch. That was the original pitch. It's a, and the notion that as this town became more and more media centric and, you know, towns evolve because of people who move here. Like I, we moved here because, um, I worked at MTV, my wife worked at Nickelodeon and Jerry Laybourne, who ran Nickelodeon at the time lived, lived just a couple then. of doors from, did, down yeah, from you. Yeah, and yeah. we went to a holiday party and we were like, 
we could live in a place like this. And what ends up happening is that people start to follow other people, like-minded people Absolutely. in the same industry. So all of a sudden we have this robust community. And what's more wonderful than being able to actually take that skill and expertise you have and, and actually have it benefit right. your own hometown? Right, exactly. And what was fun about it was that we basically ended up doing a lot of it on our own. I mean, I think part of the origin story was that we rolled up our sleeves and got to work. It was not a fully fledged nonprofit yet. So we first had to build a board, but we also had only one staff person. Right. So we found people who had marketing background. We found people who had industry background. We found people who had legal background. You know, everybody said, well, I know how to do this. I can help. And that's actually what made it a lot of fun. We, we sort of met and said, okay, how do we do this? Um, it uh, reminds me of people of a certain age will remember some Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney thing. Right. Like, I get a barn, I get yeah, a broom, exactly. let's put on let's a show. Let's put on a right? show. Right. Yeah. right. So did you worry about the proximity? So here we are. The good news and the bad news right. is our proximity to right. Manhattan, right? And my my goodness, we certainly know the vast array of culture, arts, cinema, and numerous film festivals in New York. Right. Did you did that did that thwart your thinking? Did you say, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't do this because people people could just go to there. Right. I mean, what do you get better than that? Well, it was actually one of my first questions when this idea came up. I thought, why do we need another film festival? But then when you do a little research, you realize that especially for independent filmmakers, not I'm not talking about the Sony pictures of the world, but people who are out trying to sell their, their movies, they're happy to go to almost any film festival. And there's never a lack of desire because they always need exposure and they always need audience. And so right from the beginning, what we set out to do was not be a Sundance or, a, you know, a Tribeca, where, where studios are there to buy the distribution rights to films. What we want to be and what we set out to be, you know, seven, almost eight years ago, is a festival for the filmmaker to put their work in front of a discerning audience. Mm -hmm. And because of the nature of Montclair, as we're talking about, you've, you've already got a very savvy audience right away. Yep. People who are willing to come to, you know, really avant-garde films and documentaries and things and, that really and, stir up the pot and not hesitant to talk about how they feel about it so we Either have way. we have wonderful talk back so we've we really wanted to create an environment of a festival that was for the filmmakers and so we wanted them to meet each other and feel supported where their work was celebrated not the economics of it so much. So I did some research on the impact of film festivals around the country, and I kind of heard this common thread that, that festivals done right help turn communities into this kind of tribe. Did you see that as a goal? Do you think it's a necessary ingredient to help the festival kind of take off? And Or did you think that actually Montclair was kind of tribe-like and thus the perfect spot? I don't know if, if we knew if it was tribe-like, but at the same time, I don't think we set out a goal. But but I remember the very first year we had this idea of um, renting big trolleys so that we could take people from one venue to another. And they didn't actually work because people in Montclair, although everybody claims they walk everywhere, they actually drive everywhere. Yes, they do. So everybody was in their car, but the trolleys were this wonderful visual going up and down Bloomfield Avenue that the festival was in town. And people started talking about, hey, what are those trolleys doing? What is that? And then people walking up and down with their film festival badges, you know, their lanyards. And we really found after like 
the second year, people were sort of like, when is the festival coming back? I see people on the streets. It created this atmosphere, I think this tribe feeling that you're talking about of something's going on in town mm-hmm. that really <clears throat> piqued people's interest and people wanted to be a part of it. I also feel like there's, I, I'm, I don't want to say arrogance about the town, but there's sort of a, it's, it's a, pride that borders on that of this is the kind of thing we do here right, right. do you feel that yeah yeah well i think that yeah what you know our our children have like proud communists of montclair t-shirts <laughs> you know there is i think governor murphy calls it the people's republic of montclair you know and by the way i will tell you back in the days when we didn't sell sushi here yeah it was not like that no i think it has it, it, um i believe the uh, that's when I learned the uh, acronym DAR, because I think the Daughters of the right. American Revolution had a pretty strong foothold here in the early part of the 20th century. So it's been very interesting. It has changed. Yes. It has changed. Yep. So your professional background includes a tenure as a development director for a number of different arts organizations, which clearly had to be... I found myself thinking, boy, that must have been a real value as you built Montclair Film. Um or is there something about so? But you had a different role, you right, right? right? Was there was that a was that a benefit, or is there something about starting something new that takes you totally out of your comfort zone? It was a huge benefit because at the beginning we didn't even have a development officer. So I mean, literally the first year when we were raising money to put on our first festival, I collaborated with our original first employee Meredith Ladove, who's now still our managing director. But she and I would write. That's a nice thing, by the way. Yeah, that right. So often, right, oftentimes yeah. the people who start Art, they move on somehow. Right, right. No, in fact, we have still on our board, I think it's seven founding members. I mean, we have definitely had turnover on the board, but there are people like myself who've been there since the beginning, which is which is lovely. But so going back, I felt that I uh, knew a little bit enough about grant writing and proposal writing. We sat down to try to develop a marketing plan, even though marketing wasn't really my background. I knew enough about nonprofits that we needed to have that kind of approach. We went on the fundraising calls ourselves. So I think it was enormously helpful at the beginning. And I will say now, now that we have a staff of 10 full-time people and a wonderful full-time director of development, my background as a fundraiser is still very helpful to me with a different hat on because now I think I can go into a fundraising call as as a peer, you know, and say, I have skin in the game. I'd love to encourage you to get involved. But also I know sort of the background approach required as a fundraiser, you know. Do you consider yourself, so when you think, when I ask the question, who was the founder of the Montclair Film Festival? Do you get that title or does Bob get that title? Bob has that title. Bob gets that title. Bob has that title and he incorporated the festival. He's the one who created, decided to create it as a nonprofit. He filed the papers, you know, it was formed in his kitchen. It's absolutely was his idea. And what's your role on the board? I am currently the president of the board of trustees. And and how about Bob? And he's the chairman. So can you, because I've seen this, I've seen this model before. Uh, I've seen it work. I've seen it not work. Yeah, it's complicated. Um, uh, Can you, uh, as best you can, explain the difference, if I'm on your board and I know that you, Evie, are the board president and I know that Bob is the board chair, am I clear about who's in charge? I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, So basically, I was the vice president of the board for a long time. And when we, uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead in our origin story, but we actually were gifted a building from Investors Bank. 
um, a few how, years ago. How, yeah, how far into the eight-year tenure? Well, you know, it was really wonderful because we went to the bank three years into our tenure, really, you know, sort of absolutely egotistically confident that we could handle a building. The good news is it took about three years to convince investors to give it to us. And in those three years, we grew both institutionally, economically, and we're much, much more able to handle the gift of a building in a year-round organization three years after we had the idea, which was helpful. Mm -hmm. But when we basically started down that road, um, we basically decided that we needed to kind of split responsibilities. And I assumed the role of really overseeing the development and renovation of the building, the uh, heading up the capital campaign, although we had wonderful people chair the capital campaign. I right. was involved in almost every capital campaign solicitation. So that part of our growth, you know, I sort of took over. Um, Bob remains chairman of the board and handles a lot of the committees and, and sort of board responsibilities. And I'm a little bit more day to day. I am involved a little bit more with the staff because I'm here during the day. He has a day job in the city. I'm in Montclair during the day. So we divide it up that way. But it is problematic for sure. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> the good news is that both Bob and I are committed completely 175% passionately. But that might also be the bad news, that we're both there a lot. And so far, I think our staff, sometimes it's like having two parents, which can be good, but complicated. I mean, we all want two parents, but... <laughs> you know I, I mean. Yeah, I think it, it's an interesting... And you're, you're in this phase, and I think you're in an interesting phase um, in your organization because you've matured quite a lot, but there's still a lot about your organization that is a founder-based organization. Absolutely. So, so you say with pride that you still have seven founding board members, and I sit here thinking, seven out of how many, right, and right. when are we going to expand that circle beyond right. those people who feel allied to you, beholden to your vision, right. who might add something new to the table? Right, right. And we, we are aware of that. We have actually, last year, we developed a whole new strategic plan because our first strategic plan was get a building. And we did that. So last year, we had a wonderful strategic planning process. A couple of board members chaired it. We had um, we did something. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I loved it. We had dinners. I think we had four or five strategic planning dinners with a handful of board members. And each one was at a board member's home. And it was a very casual and sort of safe environment to think outside the box. Fantastic. And, and to talk about things that they liked and didn't like. And from that, we then went into a full day retreat where we threw all the big ideas out and came up with what we really wanted. So we have a strategic plan now that is sort of immediate, medium, and long-range goals, all of it. And definitely part of our strategic plan is board turnover and secession planning and all of that. And we do, we have a large board of 28. So, okay. so seven is still a lot, but, but we've had turnover for sure. That's fantastic. And, um, the involvement of board members in strategic planning is something that sometimes nonprofits are, nonprofit staffs are reluctant to do. Right. That they think they know best. Right. But your best boards are the boards that are fully engaged in a strategic planning process because they have something to add. Absolutely. They joined that board to have a voice. Absolutely. All right. And so good for you. I think that's actually a really interesting model. We so, had, I just want to tell you, it's a yeah, funny sure. story. Uh, both Bob and I were out at something called the Art House Convergence in Utah last month. It's a convention of art house cinemas and film festivals. And Bob and I sat on a panel on board development. It was a room full of maybe a hundred people. And I think almost all of them 
were staff members or executive directors. I don't know that there were any board members in the room besides Bob and myself. Uh And the general feeling from everybody in the room was, why can't I just have a board that writes a check and shuts up? And it really, it was really funny to sort of keep fielding all these questions of like, but yeah, but why do you have to get involved at all? (laughs) Right. And, and I, you know, I spend so much time with my clients So I talk about this notion that boards and staffs are like engines on a twin engine jet. Yeah. And that, you know, you or Bob and Tom are these co-pilots. Right. And that you, I I am not going to be ignited to raise money for an organization on whose board I serve unless you have not just informed me, but have engaged me and enriched me. Right. 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 I came to join it because I care about film, because I care about Montclair. You've got to ignite those things in me. Yeah. And I think that far too often staff members believe that they, they don't see that they have to actually feed their board. Right. In order to get them to feel ignited to be the kind of ambassadors they really need them to be. Right. Um, right. I, I think oftentimes uh, s- staffs think that the the road runs one way when it actually runs both ways. Yeah. Um, I want to talk. I want to move to talking about impact. And I read a number of interviews of executive directors of film festivals, smaller ones, and then also um, San Francisco. I'm also, uh, I also in a in a life long ago, the head of the Toronto Film Festival worked for me. Oh wow! Um, and she's fabulous. And everybody talks about impact on the town. Um, or the city, on the filmmakers, and most important, on the community. So can we take them one at a time and what you see as the kind of impact Montclair film, and then we'll move from the festival to to the broader mission of your organization, what you see as the kind of impact that you have that you strive to have for each of those different cohorts. So let's start with the sort of the town or the community. How do you know that the film, Montclair film is a success in terms of the impact it has on the town or community? Well, we're in this transition phase from moving from a 10 day festival to a year round organization with our building. So the, the, 10-Day Festival is still what we call our our jewel in the crown, and most people in the community know about the Montclair Film Festival. They do. We're still getting the word out in the community that we have a building now, we have a 65-seat micro-cinema where we show films, we have an educational, uh, a whole educational program where we have classes year-round. That's still our mission to get that word out. But I think the reason we know it's it's registering in the community is, is because people will come to an event and say, what else do you do? What would Let me learn more about Montclair Film. I hear Mo, there's a Montclair Film Festival. We also anecdotally hear things from, say, real estate brokers, that their clients say, I hear there's a film festival in Montclair. You know, there's, there's that sort of, it's hard to really document it, but we definitely hear that there's an awareness that this is a community with a vibrant arts community. It has an art museum, a film festival. You know, I think that's an awareness that, people in Montclair are proud of, like you said. I agree with that. I think that, um, I guess I wanted to push a little harder about this impact. What, is it, what does it mean to a community to have a festival? What, you know, so I, as a member of this community for, uh, for eons now, what does, it, what does it mean in terms of community building? Because there's, there's not just the awareness of the festival. There's sitting next to you at a movie that's super provocative, mm-hmm. right? It, it actually builds community in a yeah. different kind of way, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I mean, and cinema has that 
capacity. Cinema, right. It brings people together in conversation. And so our our tagline is we want to basically promote storytelling of all kinds. It's part of our whole mission with our educational program for young people to realize they have a story to tell, whether they tell it with a camera or with a microphone, get out your own story. And so in our vision, people come together to talk about what they've just experienced. And it's about bridging, you know, having promoting empathy, bridging differences. Um, so I, I think the impact in Montclair is is sort of reverberating because I do think there are people who are saying, let's try to do something that brings, builds community as well. You know, there's other little arts things cropping up. There's the literary festival now. I think there's a, a wine, there's a food and wine festival. So, you know, maybe we're becoming the festival town, which is fine because we have a community that I think people want to share experiences, you know? Well, and I, there's something about what you said, Evie, that seems really important to me, and particularly in the society we're in today. You talked about the power of storytelling, you know, regardless of medium, but in this case, cinema, um, as building empathy and promoting conversation. And... Um, these to me, I'm actually working with an independent school in Philadelphia where we're engaging in an initiative to build a culture of leadership in the, in the institution. And it's a Quaker school, so there's a lot about leadership and owning your own leadership amongst right. in Quaker philosophy. Um, and we're t teasing out what it is that leadership, what are the elements of leadership? And it's really, really interesting to hear you use words like empathy and the ability to talk to someone with whom you differ exactly. in a way that is respectful, that isn't always, I'm not always in the business of trying to change your mind. Right. Like I saw this in that film and that actually pushed my buttons because, and the other person says, well, it didn't push my buttons. Right. Or maybe you don't have buttons. I don't know, right. right? But those kinds of things, they not only do they build community, but I th I think they ignite some of the things that are core to um, to civil society. I absolutely agree. Last year we uh, brought the performance artist Taylor Mack here for a performance during our festival, and I don't know if you're aware of his work, but he's. I mean, he performs in drag and he performs a whole um, history of American song. Yep. He has actually a 24-hour uh, performance. We did a truncated version of three hours and we did it at the Wellmont Theater. <laughs> and the way Taylor Mac works is he wants people to feel a little uncomfortable. Uh -huh. He wants to get you uh, sort of out of your comfort zone and feeling like you're not sure what's going to happen. And so he did things like make our audience members move around, like you in the expensive seats move over there. And then he had this moment where he said, okay, I want all the men to stand up and I want all the men to dance with the men. You know, find another man and I want you to hug each other and dance with each other. <laughs> and he was deliberately trying to say, Think about this in someone else's perspective. But what's funny about Montclair is at the end, Taylor Mack said, and he's performed in San Francisco and he's performed in Brooklyn. He said, Montclair, you win. You have the most willing people I've ever seen to try something new and to just sort of go along with it because the audience was like, this, this is going to be great. I, I'm not comfortable or maybe I am comfortable, but let's do it anyway. I, I don't know where I was talking about this, but the notion of introducing people. Oh, I know. Um, uh, I'm interviewing someone else for a podcast that's actually, uh, she's a facilitator and 
a really great book that she has written called The Art of Gathering about how to create meaningful gatherings. Mm. It's really, really good. But she talked a lot about um, making people uncomfortable right? and how important that is and that you have to put yourself in a place to be uncomfortable. So that, and, and to be uncomfortable with other members of your community and then exactly. to talk about that is really interesting. Right. And we certainly live in a society where people more often than not are feeling pretty damn uncomfortable. Um, uh, so now, so let's go on to the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. So what's the kind of impact that the Montclair, what kind of impact do you want Montclair film to have on filmmakers? I, w- I think what we want for filmmakers is that they feel like it's a place where their work can be shown without risk, without risk of, you know, a studio saying, you know, this, your work is terrible. You know, there, there, there are no big executive. If there are executives here, they're more in a layman's term coming. We don't have the head of all the studios coming to our festival. We do have press coming. So they do have some risk of perhaps a bad review, but we don't, uh, most of our screenings are not written up by the New York times. Some of ours are, do we do have great press coverage, but the very first festival, I think it was, or the second, I remember we had, we have a filmmaker party every year where we invite all the filmmakers to meet each other. And I met one of the filmmakers and he said to me, and granted, I didn't know much about films, film festivals at the time. He said, this is phenomenal because you've created a safe space for us. And he said, I have met 10 other filmmakers tonight who I will continue to collaborate, talk to, you know, so they become colleagues, not in Montclair, but across the country. So we're trying to create a community of filmmakers where they can leave Montclair and say, hey, I met you at the Montclair Film Festival. I have an idea that I'd like to talk to you about, or I want to pitch my idea. I want you to come hear my idea. So I think that's really what we want to do is provide, again, a community for filmmakers where they can come together. Does a place like Montclair provide them with a safer space than some of these bigger profile places? Do they find a sense of ease about the Montclair Film Festival, or is the festival growing in its prestige and who comes that it is I'm, I guess I'm trying to get at and then I want to move on to programs but uh, I'm trying to get at what what feels unique to a filmmaker about this one I think it's the audience that we bring you know we don't have you, I just went to Sundance right after mm-hmm. I was at the art house convergence and Sundance is is fascinating you've got incredible films there it's it's really fun to be a part of it but most I would I don't know the accurate percentage but I'm going to guess over 50% of the people in the audience are in the industry. Mm-hmm. They work within the film industry. I think from a filmmaker perspective, Montclair Film offers them a chance for quote unquote normal citizens to see their work. Right. You know, there are not a lot of festivals with the prestige that we have, but that that don't also have, you know, the 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 heavy industry people there as well. And that's very interesting. So that there is a safety about that. I think so. Right. So there's a prestige about participating and a certain safety that it isn't uh, there's a, maybe perhaps a lower level of stress and anxiety. Hopefully. Yeah. And, I, and I think that people know enough about Montclair to know that uh, we have a not only a discerning audience, but we have a lot of, as I said, a lot of media people live in Montclair, as we know, but we have people come from New York City. So it's like, a, it's a test, you know, it's a test run for, mm-hmm. for how New York audiences might respond to yep, film. Absolutely. So we are um, I'm having a really cool conversation with Evelyn McGee Colbert. She's a founding board member of Montclair Film, currently serving as the president of the Board of Trustees. 
She has uh, no lack of board experience. She's on the board of trustees for our uh, Montclair Kimberly Academy in town and also a board member of the International African American Museum in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, she is an independent film producer herself, and she has a vast experience in um, running development operations for the arts um, and numerous arts organizations, and is a graduate of the Circle of the Square Theater School in New York. Um, so let's talk about um, where you are versus where you were. Right. Right. So you're on the cusp of your eighth festival yep. in early May, and I'll give you a chance to plug that. We need to do that. Where are you? So you sat at Bob Feinberg's kitchen table. Why do all nonprofits seemingly start at kitchen tables? I don't um, know. I ran one for 10 years. It started at a kitchen table. Um, kitchen tables are much more powerful they really are. places in a household yeah. than people give yep. them a credit for. Yep. Um, so you sat there and you cooked up this idea, and now it's eight years later. Where are you relative to where you imagined? Um, I think we're probably in some ways further. I don't know that having a building was part of that original idea. When we sat around the kitchen table, we basically were trying to figure out how to put on a festival. And the first thing we did was raise money. I mean, as, going back to board development, finding key board members is so key to your success. And uh, we had a wonderful, our treasurer, our first treasurer, Brian Clarkson, did us the great favor of saying, don't try to put this festival on until you've raised some money. We, we were sort of like, let's go out and just do it. And and he has a, a lot of wisdom in that area and a lot of nonprofit experience. And so we basically raised money and then put on the festival. And and the other great sort of benefit we had is we we hired two co-directors who were really wonderful at getting the festival off the off the ground. But going back to our original vision, that was it, right? We wanted to start a festival. And I remember the first one. Tom Powers, who was our first executive director, programmed 40 films. And I remember as a board, we all said, that's a lot. Do you think people will come to 40 films? We weren't sure, you know? It was wildly successful, and the next year it was 60, and now we're up to 120 films, you know? But we've really just sort of thought, let's just see how this goes. So where we are today with a 10-day festival and 120 films and events, and, you know, 27, almost 30,000 people attending the festival alone is fabulous. But then you add to that, now we have a building, now we have a year-round programming, now we have year-round educational programs. It's, it was, that was the pipe dream. That was, that was the really big, well, wouldn't it be cool if? Uh-huh. So, so I think in a, in a fantasy world, we thought that would be great. But, you know, it's it's proven to be actually um, so something the, we so can the, achieve. So the fantasy was real. It was aspirational but achievable. And eight years is not is is not a long period of time for an organization to hit something that was seemingly aspirational when you began. Right. Um, was the building in your did you did you feel from the start that you needed a building? I'm I'm always curious about bricks and mortar. Well, what's funny about the building is um, going back to strategic planning. We had a, we we frequently have board retreats and um, I think it was two or three years in we had a board retreat to say, you know, what are our big ideas? Throw your throw your big idea out. And Bob Feinberg had this idea of let's that building sitting empty, the investors bank owns, it's empty and it's across the street from the Claridge Theater. Let's see if they'll give it to us. Nice. At the time, you know, um, I thought I don't know if we can handle a building. You know, we had two 
full-time did you, but, but separate and apart from could you handle it did you feel like you needed one that's a, that to me that's a question did you feel like a festival needed a building well we spent a lot of time doing research so we went and looked at the jacob burns center in uh, upstate new york which is not a film festival but it's a film center right and, and they have a really thriving educational program and we were really excited and turned on by that kind of model and we looked at others there are not a lot of film festivals that are year-round and to have an educational component. And so it was a little bit of a, a detour. So when the idea first came, there was a little bit of, are we sure we want that? So we luckily, Investors Bank said to us, well, show us your strategic plan. So then we had to go back and create the plan to get to the building. <laughs> so in that process, which is the benefit of strategic planning, you basically sit down and say, how will this work? Right. You know? And so I think we convinced ourselves it was a good idea because we got, I mean, it literally it took two years before we even thought they would think about it and then another year to negotiate it. So in those three years, we grew to an organization where we could imagine having a year-round a building, a year-round facility, year-round programming. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. So let's actually go back and talk about your board for just a second. Sure. So um, we talked about this. So founders develop boards generally, mm -hmm. where you go, uh, um, uh, we call it founders and then friends and colleagues of founders, right? right? We're putting on this show, don't you want to come help us? Exactly. And people have a um, an interest in the idea, but they're also following you and Bob, right? right. You and Bob are these visionaries, You're and, and, and they think, I, I, I want to get on board with Bob and with Evie because this sounds cool. Right. Um, and um, to me, an organization becomes that sustainable, mature organization when you reach, for, when there's another ring and another ring beyond that, where, um, because what can happen with founders is that people join to help you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They want they want to be on your team. Mm -hmm. And if you were starting something else, you might get them to be on your board for that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I um, and I think that this can actually stymie nonprofits in very big ways mm -hmm. because your boards then rely on your founders and they aren't really often or sometimes not all of them have that deep uh, ignited passion about the cinema and about right. the community or whatever it is because they've actually come to follow the founder. Right. And I just wonder, I guess, how the organization and the board is evolving in this regard because, um, you know, I, I, won't, I won't bury the lead. I think it is actually the key to a sustainable organization in the long haul is for it to um, have a group of 20, 25 people who are just madly in love with Montclair film and you happen to be associated with it, or right. Bob happens right. to be associated right. with it. Right. And, and it sounds like you're moving in that direction, um, but I was just wondered if you could speak a little to that. I think we absolutely are moving in that direction. I think you're right. The, the core, the founding board members were people who thought the idea was great, who knew me or Bob or Warren Ross was one of our first uh, board members, and he had actually created um, Olympia Dukakis' nonprofit theater sure. in Montclair. So he called upon some of his previous friends. That was around that. back in the days yeah, when we could, when I couldn't eat no sushi. sushi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so those original core people, I think we all thought the idea was great. I don't think they, if I had said, let's, you know, do something else, they might not have joined, but I do think you're right. They were following our lead, 
But we've we've switched over now. We have board members who now know of the festival, who've joined our board in the past year, two years, and have already experienced what they perceive to be the festival. And we've worked really hard to diversify our new board members, not just you know ethnic, ethnically, racially, gender, but in terms skills, of skills, expertise. Right, right. So we really have strategically thought. Well, we real you know as we're growing our education program, we've brought in at least two new board members who can really help us in the education. Field. Smart. So we're looking to find people who have different experiences. And so I think you're right. They are now saying, "I really love Montclair Film," but I also really see how my skill set can help you. Yep, yep, that's, so the, that's that, what we're trying to do. That's what a highly functioning board really looks like. Um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what do you see as a potential challenges to the success of Montclair Film going forward? What right. do you think could thwart its success? Well, I think we've grown incredibly fast, mm -hmm. as we've been talking about. You know, we, we moved into the building in the spring of 2017, and Which, of course, you know, in living in town, it feels like that building just opened. I know. And, I know. Right. And if, and I'm, it will if be I'm thinking. Next month will be two years, <laughs> which is crazy. It but is we're crazy. still sort of figuring that out. I said at a board meeting not long ago, okay, here's our first budget where we know what it looks like to be in this building year for 12 months because you know we moved in and then we had the festival and then we sort of had to sort of adjust like what will the expenses be now we've had a year under our belt we've built a real budget of what it looks like to turn the lights on every day and right. it's expensive and we now have 10 full-time uh staff members um so i, I what's think your annual budget our annual budget now is two million dollars nice. so we really have grown you know back back in the kitchen i think it was my kitchen table <laughs> i think this the time. i think the building on bloomfield avenue might need a kitchen table it really we have several <laughs> <laughs> but we we back then when we first started we looked at the hamptons film festival budget and it was almost two million and we were like oh let's do that it's only taken us eight years to get there but here we are but I do think that's a risk. We have to make sure we we don't just keep pushing and keep spending. We have to find new revenue sources, right? When you have 10 full-time employees and you have a building to, to turn the lights on, we don't have to pay taxes because we're a nonprofit and we own it outright. It was gifted to us. But we still have a lot of expenses associated with that that when you're just a festival, you don't have. You just, you know, put up the tent and take down the tent. Now we have to find solid revenue sources that will continue to allow this stability. And I so think you're talking about earned income as, a, as, as an a, example? As, as an example. I think earned in income is a great example. We're actually renting our facility um, occasionally. And, you know, we're still cognizant of our own mission. And we still partner a lot and show a lot of screens and do a lot of programming in our building. But just as a rental line, it's it's a sort of unexpected revenue source that, yes. we, that we really are counting on when we look at our budget and other ways like that. We are looking for perhaps another fundraiser that we can grow because, you know, a $2 million organization is different from, you know, a $500,000 organization. It totally is. And I, and there's some kind of statistic every that two thirds of nonprofits in America have budgets under $600,000 a year. Wow. That so there's this, one of the things that you have successfully done is you've, uh, jumped over, you've jumped over that hurdle that so many nonprofits actually never get beyond. Right, right. Um, and so that's a that's a testament. So I, so before I, I want you to plug the the 
plug this nonprofit, the festival, and a couple of examples of programs. Uh, but but first, I want to ask you: is there a, is there a fantasy aspiration now for the sort of the next level? What I heard you say was maybe it's time to manage our growth a little bit more effectively, diversify our revenue streams. But is there the sort of the is there a next fantasy, or are you trying to hold that at bay? I think we're trying to hold that at bay, but I think we know what it is. But I'm not going to say anything <laughs> because it keeps me awake at night. Okay. But I, I absolutely think there are opportunities for this festival to continue to grow. But I personally think we need to make sure we're comfortable where we are right now and economically. Yep. You know, I think we programmatically are very comfortable. I think we really have, have utilized our building and our programming and we just want to, our education program can continue to grow. And that's another area where we really want to put a lot of focus. So yeah, we have big, we have big dreams, but. <laughs> well, I'm also assuming that you and Bob talk and that there, there is probably, or should be board conversations about well, how does this organization, if, if the two of you decided, you know what, we've got something else we really want to dig into that you want to make sure that, and that's why the board piece is so yeah. important. Um, I see this all the time when founders actually walk away or they never walk away. That's right. a whole nother problem, right. Right. right? right? Right. Is that the boards are just not strong enough to sustain that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, but just having that kind of sense of succession planning and not being overly reliant on the funders and your ability to right. unique ability to be able to be a champion ambassador and right. fundraiser. Right, right. We, we, you know, those are difficult conversations yep, to have, but absolutely we're starting. It's something where, like I said, it's on our, our strategic plan. And I think there is definitely, a, a, an idea of how we get there. We just haven't sort of mapped it out. We it's haven't verbalized it, it yet. It's, it's probably something that falls into the category of incremental. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Baby steps. Yes, exactly. <laughs> for you and right? Because right. Yeah. for founders, what we find is that there's a lot of identity that's Absolutely. attached to it. It feels almost like your kid. Um not quite. But yeah. um uh, so um, before we close, tell um, please tell my listeners, um, we, the festival's coming up at the beginning of May. May 3rd through 10th. And how yeah. can they learn more about it? And, and is there something exciting you want to share with them? That would be great, too. Sure. So our website is montclairfilm.org. Um, and everything is on our website. The festival opens on Friday, May the 3rd. We, I can't yet announce the opening film because we haven't heard, but we have definitely gone out and asked for one. So we're, say your prayers for us. That we Remind them we who, who your opening film was last year because it was quite, as I, uh, I can't remember. Well, no, actually. I can't remember. It's okay, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Well, we've had so many great ones. Last year, let's see, one we had was Life Animated. That was two years yes, ago. Yes, right, right, right. Um, why am I blanking on our opening film last year? It'll come to me in a minute. Anyway, there's going to be a great opening film. Exactly, great opening film. Yep. The other thing, actually, uh, that I want to plug for everybody is we have a really fun night coming up on March the 2nd at the Wellmont Theater. We're calling it the Glitter Ball, and it's a dance party celebration of soul and funk. It is not a ball as in a formal ball. It's a ball as in a disco ball. But we have this wonderful band called the Losers Lounge out of New York City, coming and playing, and we have a lineup of singers. This is the third year in a row we've done this party, and Patrick Wilson and Stephen and Warren Zanes are all singing with the band, as well as phenomenal artists from the city. It's a great, great time. 
So come on March the 2nd to the Wellmont to the Glitter Ball. That'll be fun. So, and I think the other piece of this is I, you know, clearly I have listeners from around the country, but for those of you that are in the New York metropolitan area, um, Montclair is quite close. Uh, we now have hotels that we didn't used to have. Like we, we have sushi restaurants and hotels. And uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty special thing. And I want you to just offer one example of, of a program that you're doing that you're particularly proud of. Oh, sure. Well, I think, as I said, our education program is growing a lot. We have um, a program uh, called Real World Filmmaking. It's a, a class that we offer for uh, students in the summer, actually, where they make a film. So we partner with nonprofits. This will be the fourth or fifth year we've done it, where we create a promotional video for that nonprofit for free, and our students get the experience of making the film. And it's worked out really well. They're really good films. Well, first, The first one we did was with the animal shelter after it had burned. We have an animal shelter here that burned um, a few years ago. And so our students made a wonderful, really sweet movie about the animal shelter. Are we talking about sort of a three to five minute kind yeah, of a exactly. thing that they can did put on their website yep, or show at a gala? Exactly. Did Great. exactly Perfect. that. They, did, they showed it at the gala. They put it on their website. Our kids get the tangible experience. We then partnered with, last year we partnered with Jazz House Kids, and it just so happened, unfortunately, that the day of the Jazz House Festival, it, we had that flood. We had terrible rain. Yes, storm. yes. And so our kids were sort of like right there with their cameras in the real time of what do we do about the festival? Do we cancel it? Do we move it inside? It became somewhat dramatic and a wonderful experience for them. So, and and I think the Jazz House has uh, now documentation. It may not be as effective a fundraising tool because of the, the circumstances, but it shows enough about that nonprofit that they can use it. And it shows our kids how to make something like that. So that's one of the programs that we really like because we're collaborating with other nonprofits in the community. So it hits a lot of our mission at the same time. Um, I love that. I think that's a really, it's really nice when you can create intersections. That's also part of building community. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, we are about out of time and I just really wanted to say um, thank you for being um, sort of part of what makes Montclair special. Oh, thank you. And thank you to you for what being part of what makes Montclair special. Well, it, it is a pretty special place. Um, so I, 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 um, I just want to close by just reminding folks about a couple of resources uh, for board and staff nonprofit leaders that, that I make available with my team. Uh, my blog at joangary.com. Uh, so you'll find something there every week. Uh, for board and staff leaders, you can subscribe at joangary.com. This podcast now has close to 100 episodes, and on my blog, you can find them categorized in a way that will be helpful for you if you're trying to untangle a particular knot. You can look by category and find an episode that might suit you. And then, um, uh, as I've spoken about before, uh, we have a really deep commitment to uh, the board and staff leaders of small and mighty nonprofits. And so a couple years ago, I started something called the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, which is an online membership community that offers both content and community for organizations that really could never afford a consultant or a coach. And um, we are on the verge. We only open registration twice a year because we don't want to be in the business of marketing it year round and because we want to create sort of a cohort every time we open the doors. So the doors are opening soon. They'll only be open for a short period of time. So go over to nonprofitleadershiplab.com 
and learn more about it and jump on the wait list. And we'll keep you posted about when the doors open and why it might make a great deal of sense for you to join us. Lastly, uh, I have a book called Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. And it is when I wrote it, it was my hope that would find its way into the hands of every board member so that they could understand, get a better sense of what it means to be a thriving nonprofit. So uh, you can find that at Amazon or any of those online book sites that, uh, that you travel on to. So until next time, thanks for all you do. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Take care. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at JoanGary.com, reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at NonprofitLeadershipLab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.